0: Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Today we are joined by Dan McGall, founder and CEO of McGall.io, and founder of the National Association of Marketing Technology. Today we will be covering three main topics: the marketing metrics that matter to a B2B SaaS or cloud CEO or CFO; the marketing metrics that matter to a B2B SaaS or cloud chief marketing officer. And then the top five B2B MarTech tools that every B2B SaaS company needs to have implemented. Dan, would you please take a moment to give a brief background overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to being able to do this. This is a lot of fun and uh, super honored to be able to be here. Um, You know, I've been in marketing technology and technology in general for over 20 years. So I got my start back in 1998, sending mass emails since before there was even mass email, right? So I've just been doing this for a really, really long time. Uh, I started my first company when I was 13. So I've, I've just been a natural entrepreneur trying to hustle and get this stuff done. But you know, since then, I've, I've done a lot of cool stuff. You know, I was the head of growth at a cool company called Codeschool.com. We were one of the pioneers in online education for developers, helped get that company acquired by Pluralsight, a big player in that space. After that, I was also the head of marketing at a company called Kissmetrics, one of the pioneers in online marketing and analytics for marketing analytics. So really, really cool there. I was actually the, the replacement for Neil Patel at the company. Uh, and then after that, I started my consulting practice, Magal.io and we're a marketing technology, marketing analytics agency. We help companies basically choose tools, integrate tools, operate them. So I've just been around for some time. I've seen some shit. I've got the battle scars to go with it. So it's definitely been a lot of fun
0: was interesting. We won't bore the audience to death with our common background, but one of my first ventures into hosted subscription software was at the first generation of marketing automation, a company called Market First back in 1998, and also been very involved in metric-centric applications. And that's where we're going to start today, Dan. This is the Metrics Measure Up podcast. And there is so much data out there. I almost think we have a overload of data, but we're not making great metrics informed decisions. So my first topic I want to discuss with you, what are the top level marketing measurements and ROI metrics that a B2B SaaS or cloud CEO or CFO should care about to know how their marketing investment is providing returns?
1: Yeah, really, really good question. You know, I think a lot of companies they have a lot of different metrics. So every business is, of course, going to be different, right? Because you're going to want to measure a bunch of different stuff. But you know, I think some of the most foundational ones that people obviously need to have a really good metric on is like you have to know your lifetime value of a customer, right? Like that's extremely, extremely important to know your lifetime value of those customers, and that's super, super helpful in regards to marketing. And the next thing that you really want to do once you start to get your lifetime value metrics is you need to start understanding what is your lifetime value per channel. So when you think about your first touch marketing or last touch marketing, what is your lifetime value for those channels? Because a person who's going to come from LinkedIn, right? Their first touch is from LinkedIn compared to somebody who comes from a conference. Their lifetime value can actually be quite different. Uh, And that's really, really important to know is understanding what our lifetime value is per channel. Because what's going to happen is you're going to need to take that lifetime value metric and you need to start understanding what is your ROAS number for those channels. So return on ad spend. Now, one of the things that we see a lot of companies do is they only focus on the return for ad spend on their ad spend. And really, you know, at the end of the day, you're spending money on SEO, you're spending money on content marketing, you're spending money on social media, you're spending money on brand. You really need to start to try to understand what is the return on investment from those channels. And it can be a little hard to track, right? For many, many companies, because they don't necessarily track their data, their cost data well enough when it comes down to how much do we spend on SEO, right? And all that stuff. But if you can really figure out what is your lifetime value that you typically earn from first touch acquisition in your marketing, and then you understand what is the return that you're getting from that channel well you can very easily start to understand like am i being profitable in these channels and as a ceo or a cfo the biggest thing that you want to be able to do with your cmo or anybody on their team right is really start to understand where are we making success out of our marketing and where are we not and how do we dial the crappy part back and how do we understand how these things work together Uh, And that's one reason why I think understanding those metrics is going to be important because if you don't understand that metric and you just take the aggregate that you typically get from those things, naturally, you're going to have a lot of issues when you're really trying to prove profitability. Obviously, you need to have things like lead count, lead conversion to opportunity. You need to have opportunity to close deal one, conversion rates, things like that. Those are going to be the next ones that you really need to make sure that you have. But those are kind of baseline metrics that I would say are a little bit easier to get to. It's the hard metrics, which is lifetime value and marketing attribution, which is really, really hard to get to. But I think to be successful in today's marketing, those are things that you really have to have.
0: Let's double click into that. You're talking my language already when you went to customer lifetime value. And then you talked about return on marketing investment by channel, whether that's paid media, whether that's earned media, et cetera. But let me take that a step further. And that is this. We also need to understand what the customer acquisition cost is, not only by channel, but by customer cohort, because what it takes to acquire a enterprise customer could be very different than a mid-market or SMB customer. How important do you think is cohort-based reporting on target ICP or buyer persona also?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great, great, great point. And I think those things are definitely really, really important. Understanding those different cohorts and what their cost to acquire is, I think it's huge. And you also need to understand like what is the lifetime value difference of those customers. So I think you're spot on with really understanding how much those, those cohorts of customers are going to cost, because that's going to be what's going to drive your business forward. It also helps you focus on like which one is most successful.
0: Yeah, another topic that I've been talking to a lot of people about, and I talked to John Miller, the founder of Marketo and then Igagio, which was recently bought by Demandbase. And one of the questions I asked him, and I'd love to get your feedback on this, Dan, is in today's world of land and expand, we have, what does it take from a marketing investment to acquire a new logo? But we also have to think about how do we optimize the upsells and cross-sells? Do you see most B2B companies doing a good job of understanding their marketing return on investment for upsells and cross-sells? Or is that an opportunity for most?
1: That's definitely an opportunity for most, trying to understand that process. You know, I think the, the bigger thing that we see a lot of companies do is they don't necessarily land and expand, right? They oversell a lot of times upfront. They maybe add all the bells and whistles, and then that can potentially cause problems later on because it never gets used. And then the customer is like, hey, listen, I never used this feature anyways. Like, why am I paying for it? But I totally think companies need to get more focused on their land and expand. And then how do they track that? How do they understand that they're actually expanding that account and then the time, effort, and cost that goes into expanding that account?
0: makes total sense. One last question on the CEO and CFO side. They go out and they just raise $20 million. And they raise $20 million in a Series B because they want to accelerate AR growth, right? Whether it's new name or existing. One of the biggest challenges I found is how do you allocate that $20 million to sales versus marketing versus customer success? How do you know what the return on sales development is going to be versus marketing? Dan, do you have any insights on how you actually make metrics-driven decisions on how you allocate incremental capital to customer acquisition or expansion?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're raising $20 million, you should know how you're going to spend the money before you go raise the money in many cases, right? So like you should, before you've raised the money, you should have made some of these decisions. And at the end of the day, it really does come down to like what department and what strategy are you rolling out is going to make you most successful. So you know, I think most companies, whenever they raise money, they obviously want to put as much of that towards growth because that's what a venture capitalist who's giving you money, anyways, wants you to do. He wants you to grow the company more. However, I think the the problem that I see with most companies now is they focus all of their growth on marketing and sales. Right? I'm going to hire a bunch of SDRs. I'm going to spend a bunch of money on advertising. I'm going to grow the shit out of this thing. Right? The problem is is that what most companies forget is that customer success is one of your most valuable profit centers in a company. Customer success should be getting a lot more than they typically do because at the end of the day, you can buy all the customers in the world. If they churn, it doesn't matter. But if you get a customer to stick with you for 10 years, holy crap, you just made amazing lifetime value. And the people that are going to do that are customer success. And I see this happen in my business all the time. I mean, we help a lot of SaaS companies with these models and stuff like that. And, you know, they typically are so focused on growth, but they're not focused on making the customer successful. And I can, I can say with a fact, <laughs> when I was at Kissmetrics, that was one of the number one reasons why we struggled as a company was because we focused so much on acquiring, but we never focused on actually making those customers successful. And that was a later point that they finally started doing way too late. So, you know, there's no specific math to this, you really do have to understand what does your customer need? What is gonna make it so that your customer can pay you the most amount of money? And at the end of the day, that's not always acquiring more logos, right? That could be just doubling the amount that your current logos pay you. And in that model, if you're able to do that, you wind up making more money. And if that's what the situation that your business is in, that you can make much more money off of your current customers if you made them more successful, or you could make more money off your customers. If you onboarded them correctly, I would invest in CS even more, right? But you know, at the end of the day, marketing usually gets most of those funding dollars in many cases are going to hire a lot of heads. But they shouldn't be the person who gets most of it. It really does come down to what is going to be the best strategy for your business. So I wish I could give you a better answer, but I I don't necessarily have one. It's interesting that you mentioned about
0: how valuable it is to retain and grow existing customers. In our most recent benchmarking research we did, net dollar retention, which is how much ARR is being driven from a cohort of customers that were on contract a year ago and were available to renew, that is now the number one correlated factor to Enterprise value to revenue multiples in the cloud industry. In fact, the R squared factor is about 0.48 right now, and growth—just top line growth—is only about 0.29. So you're talking about a almost 100 percent greater factor on enterprise value from existing customer retention and growth. The new name, but let's let's pivot and talk about the chief marketing officer. One of the things Dan that I've talked to a lot of CEOs about and now CMOs is do you know what your CAC ratio is for marketing investment? And what I mean by CAC ratio is for every dollar of marketing you put towards new name customer acquisition, how many dollars of ARR actually come that can be directly attributed to inbound marketing leads? Not attribution, but inbound marketing leads. Do you think that's a valuable metric or is attribution still more important than just what comes from an inbound marketing-driven lead?
1: I mean, I definitely think attribution is really, really important whenever you're trying to do anything, especially if you're able to get to kind of like the multi-touch attribution model, right? Which is really going to tell you much better what your returns are going to be. So that way you can get down to that CAC number. But I I think it's really, really important in modern marketing to have that attribution set up, have conversions distributed over whatever channels are driving them. And then being able to relay that back into CAC, I think is extremely important.
0: Do you have any best practices? Because here's the, the pissing contest I often hear at executive tables. It's a, not only is it multi touch, it's multi touch, multi channel, multi organization. The marketing touches someone on a webinar six months ago, they download a white paper three months ago, and the SDR, SDR does a cold outreach 12 times in a cadence and finally gets that first meeting. Is there any one proven model? for what the right attribution is when you have so many different channels and departments reaching out to a potential customer.
1: Yeah, you know there there is no right way to do it, right? There's definitely best practices that you can try to do your best with in the industry, right? Like the thing that we always tell companies to start with is like you first want to start out with a linear model, right? Keep it really really simple. But you know your business better than anybody else and you're probably going to want to switch to a time decay, some sort of custom model, right? There's a lot of different multi-touch attribution models out there that you're going to have to kind of become familiar with. And you're going to have to learn how to ignore certain things. And this is a really, really common thing. Going to your point, right? An SDR reached out to them. Many companies don't take into consideration sales touches in their attribution models, which I think is extremely stupid. Like, I just don't understand how you don't take into consideration your sales model or your salespeople reaching out to somebody in your attribution. You're lucky if they're including their salespeople's links with UTMs in that attribution model. You're lucky if you see that. So, I think it's really, really important to kind of track all the touch points, both the ones that we do to the customers. And of course, when they visit our properties, tracking those things as well. that those should all be loaded into the attribution model you know there's products out there that make this easier such as products like Attribution App or C3 Metrics or Rockerbox. Rockerbox is more B2C. You know, LeadsRx is another really good attribution product. However, that all being said, for you to be playing at the scale, like one of our clients, which I can't say by name, I mean, they're worth $8 billion from a valuation perspective. You know, they dump all of their data from all of their systems into a data warehouse, and we're constantly building custom attribution models to be able to help them better understand how they're acquiring customers. And you know, there's things that we ignore in those models. As an example, right? A common thing you see in, in multi-touch attribution is the last session before somebody purchases or signs up or contacts somebody is a direct visit, right? So a common thing you'll see is the last five sessions up until the time that they became a lead or they became a customer, whatever it may be, are direct sessions. Well, in some attribution models, you know, we ignore those last five direct sessions and we refer back their last touch to the last campaign that we found on their record. You can't do that with the out-of-the-box attribution tools. You can only really do that effectively when you're using these data warehouses with either Looker or Tableau stat on top of it. You can get custom with products like C3 Metrics, but you really got to understand is at a certain point with scale when you're when you're approaching like hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, right? Let alone ARR, you have to be able to get more sophisticated, you have to be able to build that custom attribution model because that can really change the way you drive your ship. And that's that's important to know. Like you've got to understand like you can't drive your ship without a map, right? So you've got to get your map done first and in my opinion, building a custom attribution model, it's basically like having a compass that goes with your map.
0: Interesting analogy. But let me talk about existing customer growth versus new name. Do you find attribution models and investments are as effective to really understand what's causing the growth of an existing customer, or is that not a marketing led initiative?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a really, really good question. You know, typically that's not a marketing led initiative. While some people, of course, get involved with it, you know, I just don't think that usually is. That's usually a project that's head up more by the CRO or the CFO to really try to get those things across the finish line. But it also does come down to how your organization is structured, right? So in some companies, marketing is not responsible for the expansion. That's on sales, that's on customer success. So it really does come down to who holds that bag and then how that gets it done. But you know, we've definitely seen attribution models where there's multiple conversions, and that's to take into account, hey, attribution until the time of purchase was X, but attribution until the time of upsell or expansion is X. So definitely a common thing that, you know, I don't want to say common, but definitely a thing that you'll see in the more sophisticated companies. And a lot of times that's owned by sales and CS, not as much on marketing, but at the same time, that all comes down to the type of company.
0: It's interesting. We have this new, very trendy Customer acquisition and expansion go to market motion called product led growth. And (laughs) product led growth, of course, is you're getting people through typically earn media and they try the product, one or two people, and then you expand it. And if you look at market valuations today, the highest multiples are coming from PLG type companies, including Twilio, Datadog, Zoom, of course, et cetera. So my question is, I actually believe that marketing organizations are going to need to get much smarter about expansion attribution and how to invest their money because of phenomena of PLG. Does that resonate with you, Dan?
1: Yeah, you know, I think there's definitely companies that are doing better with product led growth than other companies, right? At the end of the day, people are paying for the product. So that's naturally where you want to invest a lot of your effort to be able to get a flywheel out of your product and stuff like that. But you know, I also think some of these companies are developer first companies that you mentioned. And I think that goes a far way as well to really increasing your valuations nowadays. So, you know, I think PLG is something that's becoming more and more prominent. You know, product school is a customer of mine. So I deal a lot with product and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't necessarily always want to say that PLG is going to be what gives you the highest valuation because, you know, Salesforce, one of the most successful companies in the world, I don't think they had product led growth, right? I think they had sales just selling the shit out of it. Same with like Marketo, right? So, you know, I don't know if I always agree that PLG is always going to be the most valuable because there's been plenty of people who've gotten to success without it.
0: It's just a very trendy topic today, and we have organizations out there like Product Lead and even OpenView Ventures who are really promoting the heck out of how valuable the customer acquisition strategy it is. But let me zoom back out because I had a question that I didn't ask you at that is really important for our listening audience, and that is: you're a chief marketing officer of a you know less than fifty million ARR company, and you're sitting down and saying, "Okay, team." Here's the top three to five max metrics we're going to measure ourselves upon for the next year. This is the CMO, and she's going to go and tell their CEO and CFO, here's how great we did because of these real outcome-driven metrics versus vanity metrics. What are they?
1: Yeah. Well, it depends on how ballsy she is. You know, I hate to say it that way, but you know, I would highly focus on if I wanted to have an indicator that I knew which was going to be successful, I'd be focusing, of course, on SQLs because an MQL at the end of the day doesn't really drive the business forward. If sales doesn't pick it up, it's not that valuable. So, you know, even though that marketing is not responsible for the SQL number in many cases, that's the metric that I would highly want to be able to be gauged by because it doesn't matter if sales doesn't qualify it. At the end of the day, I also want to make sure that I have my MQLs in there as well. So, because we want to see how much generation we're doing, and then also understand the conversion rate from an MQL to SQL. Those three metrics, in my opinion, MQL, conversion to SQL and then total SQL is created I think are some of the hardest metrics that leaders just aren't going to focus on but to me those are some of the most important ones I could care less usually about how much traffic I get like obviously I know that that's a leading indicator to being able to get leads I understand leads generated of course is a great way to drive your ship but I'll, I'll tell you this you know my metrics when I was at Kiss metrics and I was the head of marketing there my main metrics were unfortunately not aligned with the business. I was incentivized to drive traffic, which was great, don't get me wrong. I was incentivized to drive leads, don't get me wrong, it's great, but the problem was, is I was able to 50% increase our traffic within a four month period. I was able to 300% increase our leads in a 90 day period. How did that help the business? It didn't, it overwhelmed sales beyond belief, and they weren't able to actually generate more deals out of that. And that's the reason why I think that the SQL metric is such an important metric for marketing Because at the end of the day, you can drive all the traffic and all the leads and all the page views you want. But if you're not driving sales qualified leads, nobody gives a shit. So that's just my perspective. That's how I think marketing and sales needs to get more aligned as well, is that's a communal metric between the two. Because at the end of the day, that's a metric that they should both share. If I send you bad leads, you don't get SQLs. If your sales reps suck and they don't pick them up, well, guess what? I don't get SQLs. I just think it's a really, really good metric for both people to be working on. Because at the end of the day, it's probably the one of the biggest leading indicators that you're going to have closed deals.
0: Yeah. Well, you just said leading indicators to close deals, but there were a couple of metrics you didn't talk about that I was a little surprised at, Dan, and that yeah. is why a CMO shouldn't be, at least share the responsibility for pipeline generated and the conversion rate of pipeline generated by marketing programmer channel in actual ARR created close rates.
1: I think those are fantastic metrics. You know, I guess one of the reasons why I would say that I'm a little leaned off of that is it comes down to at the end of the day, what is the sales process, right? So going back to your point about product-led growth, right? In a product-led growth environment, absolutely, right? Where if somebody is signing up for the product with a credit card and we're letting the product do the leading and somebody could just sign up and use it like a Twilio, right? And just get started. Absolutely. I think marketing should have much, much more of that pipeline generation on their plate. But if I'm on the flip side of that and I'm selling more of the enterprise stuff, you know, sales owns that entire process, right? And they can totally murder it. So, you know, I definitely agree with you that those are also really, really good metrics that you'd be measured by. But at the same time, I would also be very, very hesitant sometimes about that just because I can't always control what sales does with the pipeline.
0: Yeah, the same way sales can't control if a opportunity does get sales qualified, but it turns out to be a poor fit because of ICP, et cetera they don't control yeah. that and that creates the friction. So I still truly believe that a chief marketing officer and whether it's chief sales officer, SVP of sales or CRO, I think they should co-own a, at least a pipeline and dollar amount level.
1: I think you're spot on. I think you're hundred percent correct.
0: Well, 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 since that, I'm going to move on. I love it when I get agreement <laughs> on the podcast. So, but Dan, I'm going to give you a chance to, to really make a difference and perk up our listeners' ears. And I loved a post that you made the other day that you've been on a lot of podcasts, and not always do you discuss at a meaningful level topics that are really valuable to the listening audience. So let me kind of give you free reign. What's a topic and some advice that you'd like to share that you think is incredibly valuable to our listening audience, which is primarily Founders, CEOs, and go to market executives, sales, marketing, and CS.
1: Wow. Now you're challenging me. I I like how I threw the challenge out there and it's getting thrown right back at me. You know, I think a lot of companies at the end of the day get sucked into a lot of hype. You know, I'm very fortunate in the fact that I get to work with a lot of these really, really smart tech companies that have figured out their sales processes and can get you to buy anything, right? Like we work with a couple of vendors where we're always blown away by how much they can really slam dunk that first deal. However, right? The thing that I see with a lot of companies is they just buy stuff they don't need. They don't buy tools based upon their objectives. They don't buy tools based upon their, their OKRs, right? Their tools not going to drive their key results. You know, I just see people buy too much shit. Honestly, I just see people spend money on things that they don't necessarily need. So from time to time, I think companies need to take a good realization of what can we actually accomplish in the amount of time that we have. And then do we need to buy all this shit that we're never going to use? I think people's eyes are much bigger than their stomachs, as you would say, and they buy more software than they're ever going to use. And most software at people's companies aren't being leveraged. I mean, I'm probably spending just myself, right? And our business is smaller. We're not a $50 million a year business. I'm probably wasting, I don't know, 10% to 15% of my marketing budget right now on things that we're not using, right? So like... Those are things that other companies can clean up. We focus on cleaning it up all the time, but I just see a lot of waste when it comes down to the things that we buy for our companies.
0: It's funny that you say that. I was just reading the most recent HubSpot State of Marketing 2021 report, and they didn't segment this by cohort, but they said, what percentage of your marketing budget goes towards technology? And it was around 24% at median. I was pretty shocked it was that high. So here's the question that kind of was stimulated from reading that report. If you're kind of a smaller B2B SaaS cloud company, let's say under 10 million, but you've got product fit and you're really just trying to scale and grow a little bit faster. Can I even ask you, what are the five MarTech products or categories that you're like, you got to have your infrastructure in place if you're going to get from five to 10 million to 50 million? What are they, Dan?
1: Yeah. You know, I think the modern stack has definitely changed. You know, if you're really interested in understanding how to build the stack, I would recommend checking out my book, Build Cool Shit, because I talk about this a lot in the book. You know, one, I highly recommend companies nowadays need to have a customer data platform. You know, some of the main players out there, Segment, Rudderstack, Stack, Meta Router, MParticle, there's 90 of them. Segment's the big behemoth in the room, but a customer data platform is going to make it a lot easier for you to be able to collect your data, pass that data around and really be able to have all of your tools integrate. You obviously need a marketing automation tool, whether that be a Marketo, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, Pardot, Eloqua, whatever it may be. I'm a big fan of Autopilot's marketing automation tool. You got to have the CRM, which I think is a, is damn near one of the most important things you're going to do. Salesforce, obviously, being the big player in the room, but you know, HubSpot's definitely coming after their tails. I've been really, really impressed with what HubSpot's been able to accomplish. You know, I'm going to move in a little bit. You know, I definitely think you need a support tool or something like that for customer success. You know, Zendesk is a really good tool over there, but you've also Got better tools like GainSight, Totango, and things like that, which are going to help you from a customer success product perspective. And the last one I'll just say is you really have to have amazing analytics. If you can't see, you can't drive. Going back to my my ship analogy, right? When you've got to turn the ship, you've got to know what on the map we're aiming for. You've got to have your compass, you got to be ready to go. And that's your analytics. So highly recommend having good analytics. You know, if you're a company that's trying to do more exploratory analytics, right, you want to be able to democratize your data in your company and let anybody look for data. You know, platforms like Amplitude, Mixed panel are really really good. I'm not the biggest fan of Heap. It's as I call it, it's the headless horseman of tracking, so it does an okay job. And you know, if you want to put your kind of big girl pants on and you really want to be able to like take this to the next level, that's when you got to start leveraging a business intelligence tool like Looker or Tableau because you've got to take the data out of all those other tools that I just said, right? All the data in those tools have got to come out, be dumped into the warehouse overlaid with your attribution data. And then you can really run real numbers and get going back to our attribution conversation. You can get real attribution numbers from that. And you can really start to dig in deep on optimizing your business. So that way you can go from a 50 million AR business to a hundred million AR business. You're not going to get there unless you have business intelligence and good analytics. It just doesn't happen.
0: Found it interesting that you put the product analytics category there in the Martech products, right? I'm I'm not mistaken when you did add product analytics, right?
1: Well, I said amplitude and mix panel, right? And I want to make sure right. that people understand that amplitude and mix panel, while they say they're product analytics, they did that because product has a bigger budget than marketing, and product doesn't get rid of things like marketing. Everybody knows what happened when COVID hit. Marketing got slashed at the knees, right? Mm-hmm. Product didn't get cut at all, right? So when you think about these companies like Mixpanel, Heap, or Amplitude and their product analytics, at the end of the day, their tools are extremely, extremely valuable for marketing analytics as well. And you should be using them and you should be using them for marketing analytics. I mean, I'm actually working on, I've been a partner with a lot of these companies for a long time. I'm actually working on a lot of content partnership right now with one of the main product analytics company so they can start building out their marketing analytics game, Right. However, they've always been good at marketing analytics, but from a strategy perspective, who wants to work with the budget that's always being cut? So that's why you go talk to the product team because going back to your product-led growth, products' budgets keep getting bigger and they're not trying to cut products. Marketing gets cut all the time.
0: It makes perfect sense. So man, this session has went very quick and we're gonna have to wrap up here in a few minutes, but there's one last topic that we haven't talked about and you didn't mention it in your top five kind of product categories for Martech. And that is this concept of revenue operations, which is really the integration of sales ops, marketing ops, CS ops. And now we have this new category of software called revenue operations and intelligence. And you see companies, whether it's Clary trying to be that, ring DNA, etc. So, where do you believe revenue operations as a function fits in with marketing operations? That's first. And is RevOps really a product category?
1: Oh, man, you know, I don't think I think my verdict is still out on this a little bit. But yeah, you know, I think revenue operations is totally its own category. Marketing ops, sales ops, CS ops, all the ops in a company ultimately roll up to revenue ops. And the main reason why is because Revenue Ops is most responsible for making sure that we can report back are we successful across all this stuff and making sure the business is successful? So, you know, I think it's becoming more and more popular. But I also think in many companies, Revenue Ops is just a marketing operations person who's been promoted and they don't really know what Revenue Ops really is yet. You know, Revenue Ops is what, four years old? I think Lean Data really is like pushing it forward. So it's quite fascinating. But Revenue Ops has been around for a long time. I just think that companies, are still trying to figure out what marketing operations is, right? Let alone what RevOps are. I mean, I think you and I are a little spoiled because we work with so many tech companies, right? But I think only tech companies really have revenue operations.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. We did some research on how marketing operations resources are deployed and about 40 to 50% of their time is on data management, whether that's data hygiene, data enrichment, append, et cetera. And about another 20% is on reporting. So I'm pretty amazed that up to 60 to 70% of marketing operations time is spent on data and analytics. And now with revenue operations, they're also spending the majority of their time on the data flows and the data consistency from marketing to sales to customer success. So do you think marketing operations might over time lose their, not lose, but have less focus on data and more on the analytics and providing more foresight and insights into what's working versus the tactical of managing data?
1: Mm. No, I don't. I don't think it's going to change that much, you know, over the next few years. I think revenue operations is trying to get the alignment across those three different orgs or four different orgs. And marketing operations is just focused on like what the hell is going on in marketing operations and marketing. So, you know, I think that they're still going to have a heavy component of analytics on them. I don't think the heavy amount of that is going to change. But I think... The one thing that we've seen as a trend with marketing operations is they're getting responsible for more and more project management, program management as well. So you know, I think the lines are being blurred a little bit with how much program management or project management, the marketing operations people are now doing.
0: And when I see mops people with PMPs certification, I'll be worried, Dan. That's a whole nother topic. Hey, you mentioned a book that you wrote, Build Cool Shit. Just real quick for our listening audience, can you tell me kind of what the catalyst of that was, what insights and value they would get from reading
1: that? Yeah, and I'd love to give everybody an opportunity to get a free copy of it as well. You know, it's a blueprint to creating the modern technology stack for your business. At the end of the day, the stack that you used to build five or 10 years ago is going away, right? With the proliferation of customer data platforms and all those things, more modern analytics, you know, the stack has really changed. So, you know, there's an abundance of tools. There's over 9,000 tools out there now that you can choose from. So, what I wanted to try to do was distill all the different tools down, explain, like, hey, I understand you're going to have a, a different stack, right? The stack is always going to be unwieldy. No two companies are the same, but there is definitely some foundational elements that you want to have in your stack. And there's some important methodologies that you need to follow to make sure that your stack is built out correctly. So that way you can really grow on it. And one of the big important things is making sure that you have clean taxonomy, making sure that your data can be recycled through all of your tools. And then of course, focusing on building the stack for specific outcomes. So in the book, I actually cover a case study of a customer that we worked with to build three separate outcomes, leveraging their stack and how we would ultimately integrate that together. And we talk about data enrichment, we talk about lead scoring, we talk about progressive profiling. And then we also talk about how do we measure all this stuff at the end of the day? Not only are we measuring online, but we're also measuring the actions that are happening offline, which is also extremely, extremely critical to your journey. But you know, that all being said, you know, don't listen to me about it. Just get a free copy of the book, right? Like I'm willing to ship you one for free, All you have to do is something really simple. If you pull out your cell phone, I want you to go to your text messages. When you pull up your text, what you're going to do is you're going to text this number. So you're going to text the number 415-915-9011. I'll say it again, 415-915-9011. And all you have to do is text the word MarTech, M-A-R-T-E-C-H. And that's going to actually text one of our bots, which is then going to communicate back with you to collect your name, your address, your information. And what we'll do is we'll basically have you just confirm that really, really quickly when you're all said and done. And then we'll ship you a free copy of my book. We'll come right to your house. If you are international, we're not going to ship one international to you just because it's so expensive and with customs and stuff. But you know, don't listen to me on how great the book is. Try it out for yourself. That's such a nice
0: offer. Thank you so much, Dan, for doing that. And thank you for being a guest on today's episode of the Metrics and Measure Up podcast. And for our listening audience, we really appreciate the time that you invest in listening to our guests and content. And it would mean the world to us. If you're finding value, go and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app and provide us a rating, your comments. Anything we can do to make these sessions even more valuable, we sincerely appreciate your feedback. Dan, thanks for being a guest today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This has been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.